For our scripture reading this morning, we'll be reading from Psalm 103. Psalm 103, I'll give you a moment to turn there in your scripture if you would like. We'll be reading the entire psalm before Pastor Nate comes to bring the word for us. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Thank you, Brent and Pastor Will, for pointing us to the Father's love and pointing us to Christ. And how about we pray as we begin and ask Christ to show us himself and his word. Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you that though we are sinful, that today, through the grace that you have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can call you Father. We thank you that our sins are forgiven, that our sins, though they're great, your mercy is more. And I pray that this morning as we look into your word, you would give us the grace to see you, and to see Christ, to see his mercy for us, and that we would take hold of that mercy and go forward from this place, striving to serve you, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you supply is our gracious Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had a baby dedication in this very room, and we had several families standing right down here at the front. A wonderful picture of families seeking to dedicate not just their children, but their entire families to the Lord. 
And at that baby dedication, we had at least a couple of babies who were the very first babies born into their families. So we have in our sanctuary this morning a few new dads, new fathers, their first Father's Day. We also know that there were probably a, maybe one or two fathers up here who have already lost track of how many children that they have. And for those dads, we need to keep them in prayer. But I also realize that this morning, this is a, a difficult day for some of you. Uh, Father's Day is a day that perhaps you remember that you've lost a father or you've lost a husband. For that reason, Father's Day is tough. We, we want to hurt with you in that. Maybe for some others of you, Father's Day is difficult because your father was absent or maybe even abusive. I recognize this morning that Father's Day brings with it a flood and a variety of different emotions, even in a group this size this morning. So we want to recognize that even as we turn to the Word of God. But in light of these things, today we are celebrating Father's Day. And because of that, we're starting in verse 13. So if you haven't already turned to Psalm 103, please do that. And let's look at verse 13 as we begin this morning, remembering Father's Day. And David writes this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now this verse is not saying that God learns how to be a father by watching human fathers, right? God doesn't sit up in heaven and he doesn't wonder whether he should show compassion to his children and then he looks down at the human fathers of the earth and he sees good fathers showing compassion to their children. He says, that's how I'm going to treat my children. No, that's, that's not what this verse implies. What this verse means when it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, it means when you see a good father, you see a picture of God. You see what God is like when you see a human father acting in accordance with the way that he was created to act as a father. You see, God designed human fatherhood to be a portrayal of his own fatherhood. God had a son long before he created human fathers, and he was the God the Father before he was God the creator of human fathers. And so he knew forever what fatherhood was, and he had determined that long before any of us were even created. He was God the Father. So therefore, he created human fathers to make that just a little bit more clear to us. That's what the analogy in this verse means. And fathers, this is your calling. This is our calling. We have the responsibility to learn how to treat our children by watching how God treats his children. And children grow up to learn about the fatherhood of God by watching their fathers. Men, this is a huge calling. If you watch shows today, you watch programming today, you watch content today of modern entertainment, and fatherhood is put down. Fatherhood is made fun of. Fathers are a joke. And may that not be the case in this church. 
Because fatherhood is to represent God the Father to our children. We have the responsibility to show them how God loves his children, how he loves us. And men, that is a significant, a huge calling. So when David wrote, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, he meant God created fatherhood in his own image. In other words, good fathering points people to God. It points children to God. It points wives to God. It points neighbors to God. That's what fathers are for. Now, when he says, for he knows our frame, you see that there in the next verse, he remembers that we are dust, he begins to shift to the idea that fathers won't always be around. As much as we don't like to think about it, dads, you won't always be there for your kids. You see, fathers, even good fathers, are still humans. We're still subject to the limitations the lifespan of human beings, and we will all someday pass off the scene. The psalmist moves to talk about how that will affect their children. Look, look with me at verse 15. David says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a, fo- a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. And then he contrasts us with God in verse 17 when he says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So if dads pass away like a flower, then what about the children? What happens to them? And the children's children and their children after that. Fathers need to realize that they won't always be around, and their children won't always be around, and their children's children won't always be around. So a good father who reads these verses and realizes that he won't always be around for his kids and realizes that someday his kids won't be around forever in this life, They're going to have to pass from the scene of life. He's got to ask this hard question. How can my children benefit forever from the love of God? Or, using the other phrase from this verse, he has to ask the question, how can my children experience the righteousness of God so that it vindicates them in the last day rather than condemning them? in the last day, as it will for millions and, I fear, billions of people in the last day. And the answer to this question has three components that we can see in this very passage, and I want to turn our attention to it because it's a vitally important question. What's going to happen to our kids when we pass from the scene? So notice those three components. Looking down at the middle of verse 17, he says, first of all, to those who fear him, And then the beginning of verse 18, to those who keep his covenant. And then the end of verse 18, those who remember to do his commandments. So let's read them together to get the flow so we get a feeling for what he's saying here. 
He says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, forever on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to, number two, those who keep his covenant, and number three, remember to do his commandments. So it's absolutely important that we understand what these three things mean if we want our children to experience forever the love of God rather than just for a season while they're here on this earth. And then if we desire for them to receive his righteousness as their vindication rather than their condemnation in the last day. You're following me? So let's look down first at that middle component, number two, to such as keep his covenant. Now what does that mean? Well, when this was written at the time of the Old Testament, when the Psalms were written, Israel was, was relating to God under the nature of the Old Covenant. If you've been in this church or another church for a while, you've probably heard these terms, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. God entered into covenant with his people Israel. He gave them his law. He gave them his expectations for how you're going to live in relationship with him. And then they were to follow that covenant, and he would provide for them. He would lead them. He would instruct them. They lived in covenant with one another. Well, we understand in our time period that we do not live under the old covenant. Jesus Christ fulfilled the old covenant. He did everything right. As Pastor Will said earlier today, he he lived a perfect life, he died a sinless death, and then he rose again that we might have new life in him through faith in him. And so for us, To understand what this says in our relationship with God, we're talking about how are we rightly related to God? How do we get to be in a right relationship with God? And if you're a Christian in here, you understand how this works. Jesus Christ has done what was impossible to achieve reconciliation between us and God. Like I said, he lived a perfect life, he died a sinless death, and then he rose from the dead to bring to us salvation. So if we place our exclusive faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we enter into a permanent relationship with God. Nobody can break that relationship. Even we can't break that relationship because we weren't the ones who established it. It was only God through the work of Christ. And so in the words of this psalm, when you do that, you become a covenant keeper. You enter into covenant with God. God. So that's the second component that David uses. Let's back up to the first component. And what is that? He says to fear the Lord. Now what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because remember, the only people who will experience God's love forever and will be clothed in Christ's righteousness forever are those who fear him. So let me ask, is that a separate or a distinct component from the second one that we talked about? Is that totally different from being a covenant keeper to fear the Lord? I'd suggest to you this morning that it's not. It's not a distinct thing. It goes hand in hand with the second component that we already talked about. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I love the way that John Piper explains this, and he wrote this. I'm going to read it to you and understand what he's saying about the fear of the Lord. He explains this, God is in your mind and in your heart so powerful and so holy and so awesome and so powerful 
that you would not dare to run away from him, but only to run to him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. You are too scared to run away from him, to know what would happen to you, but only to run to him in faith. So in other words, fearing God is not another requirement. It's the way that you receive Jesus. It's the way that you come into a relationship, that you become a covenant keeper with God. You come with a heart that is broken and contrite, without any mindset of presumption or, I deserve to be forgiven, because that's what you do, God. You're supposed to forgive me. That's the opposite of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is trembling in his presence and at the thought of leaving him, knowing that there's only destruction apart from God the Father. So you have to be a covenant keeper who has run to Jesus and fearing him is the only way that we can run. So what about the third component there? Those who do his commandments. Well, your faith in this Christ and your running to him desperate and fearful that you would turn to any other resource, it has to be real, folks. It has to be real. You can't play games And the Bible is clear that if you place your faith in Jesus and embrace him as your savior, it's going to change your life. It has to. It can't not change your life. When you place your faith in Jesus, God changes you from the inside out. You become a new creation, the Bible says. And so again, this isn't a new or another requirement Covenant-keeping through faith in Jesus has to be real, and obedience to God's commandments is the evidence of real faith. It's the sign that it's real. It's the mark that it's real. It's the fruit that says the tree of faith is real. Obedience to God's commands. And dads, that's a hard thing, isn't it? To recognize that we... We resemble God the Father to our kids. And so our lives have to be different. If we're going to show them God the Father, we have to take the Bible seriously. We have to take what God has revealed about himself seriously. Meaning we have to study his word. Reading the Bible isn't just for Sundays. It's not just for your wife and your kids. It's for you. You have to get serious about what God reveals about himself to us because that's the way that we show Christ to our kids, by obeying what he's told us to do. By running to God in faith and saying, you're the only way, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do, whatever you tell me to do. And dads, you would, you would lay your life down, wouldn't you, to know that this would be true of your kids. I would, I would guess that for most of you, if not all of you here, you desire more than anything that your kid's faith would be real. Because if it isn't, they will only experience the love of God for a season. And then they will spend eternity apart from it and apart from the righteousness of God. And none of us wants that. This is why fathers exist. To do the impossible, not in our own strength, 
but in the strength of the one who does the impossible and bring these children to this place. So we have to ask the question, what is the one thing then above all others that fathers need to do to lead their children to the condition of blessedness that David talks about in this psalm? In other words, what would be the one thing that would be the greatest blessing to your children, your wives, your church, your co-workers, to this city, and to your own soul? If you're here this morning and you're not a father and you're just kind of tuned off saying this is for fathers, let me assure you this psalm was not just written to fathers. And how do we point your husband or your children or your friends, or your family, or your co-workers, or your city, to God? What's the one thing that we should do? If you've read this psalm before, you know what it is. The answer is to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. There's no confusion about what David is trying to get across. It's so important in this psalm. He says it at the beginning. He says it at the end. Look with me, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And after going through those, at the very end, verse 22, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. From beginning to end, David tells us, This is what we can do. We bless the Lord. So what does it mean? What is happening when we do that, when we bless the Lord? Well, to bless the Lord is almost synonymous with the phrase to praise the Lord. And I want you to hear as I read Psalm 34, verse 1, and see how these two commands, these two phrases are paired. Where it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The way that the psalmist wrote, they were saying those in tandem, saying they are virtually synonymous. They're the same kinds of things. So to bless the Lord means to speak well of God. It means to sing well of God, using our lips to say appropriate things about God's greatness and about his goodness. But I want us to notice, David is careful to tell his soul not just his mouth, to praise the Lord. Do you notice the difference? Not just to say, bless the Lord, O my lips, but bless the Lord, O my soul. And why does he say that? You see, hypocritical words of praise to God will not benefit your children. In fact, it will probably hurt them. But real words that overflow from a heart of worship and praise will impact children in a way that we can't even imagine. And you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, you know, I am, I'm not wired that way. I'm just not somebody who talks about spiritual things at home. That's really more for church, or that's really more what my wife does, or our kids seem to be doing okay. I don't really have to talk that way, right? 
And I want us to recognize that the Holy Spirit is powerful. And he can change us to do the kind of things that God has called us to do. And he has called us to bless the Lord with our souls. And if we as fathers are supposed to point our kids and our wives to to God the Father and show them who he is and how he acts by the way that we live, then we need to bless the Lord. We need to show them who he is by the way that we bless the Lord and by the things that we say about the Lord. And that means if today you're saying, I just, I don't really do that. I don't really get into specifics when I pray. We just kind of pray for the meal and we're done. I'd encourage you, anybody can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody can speak well of God when God gets a hold of their hearts and their souls and changes them to recognize their responsibility to bless the Lord with their souls. So I want us to look at three categories as we close here. Three categories of how we should bless the Lord in the hearing of our kids, dads. So here we go. Number one, let your children hear you bless the Lord for his sovereignty, for his complete control. And we see this in verses 19 to 22. David says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So let your children hear you say at the breakfast table or the dinner table or whenever you eat together, I bless you, Lord, that your kingdom rules over all. There you go. Bless the Lord that he's in control. Just say words from scripture that are true, that change the way that you live. I bless you that you rule over all. I bless you, Lord, that your kingdom rules over, get specific, all all peoples, all governments, the weather, our schedules, our plans. I bless you. I praise you that you rule over our families. Amen. Let's eat. Wouldn't, Wouldn't something like that go down deep and stick in our children if they heard us say that day after day? They heard us say, I bless you, Lord, that you're in control. And I say day after day, but especially in those times where things your children know don't go the way that you think they should. What about when you planned this great vacation and coronavirus came and ate your vacation? Do you still bless the Lord that he's sovereign, that he's in control? Your kids hear you. They hear what you say. They hear what your heart says. So do they hear you say, when you can't go on that great vacation they looked forward to for a full year, I bless you, Lord, that you're in control, and what we're doing now is what you planned and what you wanted, and it's actually better than what we thought was better. Do they hear you say that? That's powerful if they hear you say that year after year, time after time. Isn't it interesting that after David said those things in verse 19, he doesn't quit? He realizes that the way that God exercises his sovereignty over all things is through angels and hosts and ministers and heavenly beings. So he says, come on, angels. Come on, heavenly beings. Join us and praise God for all of his works. Dads, let your children hear you bless the Lord for his sovereignty. And go ahead, invite the heavenly host to come along with you 
and praise God. Invite the sunset to praise God with you. It already is. Really, you're joining it. But when you see great things in this world, don't just say, isn't that great, son? Say, isn't God great? Who created that? He's sovereign over all. He's in control of our lives. He's in control of your life. Submit to him. Number one, praise the Lord for his sovereignty and let your children hear that. Number two, let your children hear you bless the Lord for his justice and his righteousness. The Lord, verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And do you believe that? Let your children hear you say, I bless you, Lord, for you are an advocate for those who are the poorest of the poor and the oppressed and those who are being treated unjustly around the world. I bless you that though the evil in this world seems great, you are still the ruler over all and justice will be done if not in this age, in the age to come. And for all the injustices in this world, you're not unjust, God. And let your kids hear you say that. You know, we have a lot of injustice in our world today, and we don't want to admit that, but there is a lot of injustice. People are treated poorly because of what they look like. People are treated poorly because they're in positions of authority. People are treated poorly for no good reason. And that's injustice. But the Bible says God's not unjust. He knows all things, and he will right every wrong. And if it doesn't happen now, it will happen in the age to come. And we need to tell our kids we believe that. They don't need to hear us say that God is a member of one political party. They don't need to hear that. You may be, and that's fine. But God isn't. So bless him that he's actually just. And though all of us are flawed, and all parties have flaws, God isn't flawed. He's perfect, and he's just. And they need to hear you pray that. And more than just saying that, let me step on some other people's toes. Sing it. Let them hear your heart and not just your brain. If they don't see that God has your heart, then why should they give him their heart? So when we gather together, and not just at this time, but especially when we gather together in the congregation and we sing God's praise, we sing words that come straight from Scripture, dads, you ought to sing the loudest. Dad should not stand by quietly because your kids see you. And if you don't care enough to sing, they may think you don't even care enough about the truth that we're singing. So dads, you may be the worst singer in your family, but you better sing. Because what we sing is not inconsequential. It's the most consequential. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. Not the government, not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. Christ alone is my hope. And they need to hear you sing that. If you say that I'm too manly to sing, that's ungodly. That's of the devil. Don't you ever say that. God created us to sing. We were just talking about this in our First Steps class last weekend. When the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, 
he causes us to sing. And if we don't sing, we're fighting against the Holy Spirit. The Spirit causes us to sing forth truths from the Word of God that build up the church. And if we just designate that to the other people in our families, we're basically saying we don't care about what God has to do in our lives. Do you really want to communicate that to your children? Sing. Sing truth. And sing it louder than anybody else does in your family. And do that week after week after week so your kids grow up and see that you actually mean those things that you pray. Your kids need to see that God has your heart. Or again, why should they give him their hearts? Number three, let your children hear you bless the Lord for his mercy and forgiveness. Look at verse three. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? In verses 10 through 12, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Fathers, let your children hear you with a contrite and happy heart. Bless the Lord that your sins are forgiven. Let them hear that the clean slate that Christ has given to you through his sacrifice has changed your life. Let them see that Christ is not just a part of your life, but he's everything to you. I think that's, that's been a problem for us. We bring our kids to church. We say, church, teach our kids. But we've given them no indication that this has actually changed our lives. More than just a cultural two-hour visit on a weekend. Not much different than our bowling alley date with the guys. Do our kids recognize as we pray that we're thankful that God has forgiven us of our sins? Dads, let there be a blessing of God's sovereignty, a blessing of God's righteousness, and especially a blessing that God forgives your sins. He loves you. He forgives you of all your failures as a dad. We've got lots of them. And let your children hear that. I messed up, but God forgives me. He'll forgive you too if you give him your heart. If you're here this morning and you're not a dad, well, you still have the privilege and the responsibility to bless the Lord. You can still bless the Lord for his complete control over all things. You can praise him for his justice. You can thank him for forgiving your sins. And I pray that as a church, we'll do that. I pray that Psalm 103 will be our heartbeat, not just our headbeat. Not just what we think and say, but what we sing and feel. That God has changed everything about us, so we bless his name. And we acknowledge him as being in control and as being our savior. Let's pray. Father, I bless you that you are our father. And that you've given us the privilege to call you father. We don't deserve that. It's holy of grace. 
It's only through what Jesus has done for us. And God, you are our Father who has given us, human fathers, a huge responsibility to imitate you to our families and to this world, to show them what you are like. And we fail in that every day, and we acknowledge that, and we confess to you we are imperfect. But you continue to give us grace. You withhold from us what we deserve through mercy. And then you give us the strength to stand up again and to work at it again tomorrow. And I pray that we would wake up as fathers now and that we would bless you, bless your holy name to our kids, that they might see that you've changed us. And that when our stewardship of them is done, when we pass from this life, we would not have regrets about the fact that we could have shared with them our faith in a deeper way than just bringing them to church and just reading a couple of Bible verses now and again. But Father, that we would have committed to them all that is important to us, the relationship that we have with you. So may, may we bless your name now together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.